welcome back to another episode, mostly ghostly, you know what I mean, hope all y'all been well out there, myself and Ray doing pretty fantastic, um, doing a big, you know what I mean, keeping with uh, the land, keeping with, uh, you know, the land theme we've been popping into last week and this week, you know, we're going to get down on some of the we've been talking about behind the scenes for many, many moons we've talked about this. Um, this has almost become an episode a handful of times. And you lucky people out there get that episode today. Oh, yeah. And that episode is on ley lines. Oh, yeah. What you going to do, brother, when the ley lines come laying on you? You know what I mean? <laughs> One of those deals. Yeah. Ray knows. Um Real brief description to catch anybody up to date real quick on a ley line. Uh, ley lines refer to a straight alignment drawn between various historic structures and prominent landmarks. The idea was developed in the early 20th century Europe. Uh, with ley lines, believers arguing that these alignments are recognized by ancient uh, societies that deliberately erected structures uh, along them. Since the 1960s, members of the Earth Mysteries movement and other esoteric traditions have commonly believed that such ley lines uh, demarcate Earth energies and serve as guides for aliens, spacecraft, archaeologists, and scientists regard ley lines as an example of pseudo-archaeology and pseudo-science. You know what I mean? Um, the idea of lays, L-E-Y-S, as a straight track across the landscape was put forward by the English uh, antiquarium Alfred Watkins in the 1920s, uh, particularly in his book, The Old Straight Track. He argued that the straight lines could be drawn between various historic structures and that these represented trade routes created by ancient British societies. Although he gained a small following, Watkins's ideas were never accepted by the British archaeological establishment, a fact that frustrated him, as it would anybody. His critics noted that his ideas uh, relied on drawing lines between sites established at different periods of the past. They also argued that in prehistory, as in the present, it was impractical to travel in straight lines across hilly or mountainous areas of Britain, rendering his lays unlikely as trade routes. Independently uh, of Watkins's ideas, a similar notion that... Uh, uh, a Haley's Lenin, which meant holy lines, was raised in 1920s Germany. During the 1960s, Watkins' ideas were revived in an, alt an altered form by British uh, proponents of the countercultural Earth Mysteries movement. In 1961, Tony Wedd uh, put forward the belief that lays were established by prehistoric communities to guide alien spacecraft. This view was prompted to a wider audience in the books of John Mitchell, particularly his 1969 work, The View Over Atlantis. Mitchell's publications were accompanied by the launch of a Lay Hunter magazine. 
Uh, and the appearance of the lay hunter community keen to identify lay lines across the British landscape. Lay hunters often combine their search for lay lines with other esoteric practices like dousing and numerology, with the belief that the forthcoming age of Aquarius that would transform form human society. You know what I mean? Um, very scary stuff here. You know, we got dousing. Of course, a type of divination employed in the attempts to locate groundwater, buried metals or ores, gemstones, oils, grave sites, malign earth vibrations, and many other objects and materials without the use of a scientific apparatus. Now, numerology, as you all know, is the belief in the divine or mystical relationship between a number and one of more coinciding events. It is also the study of the numerical value of the letters and words, names, and ideas. You know what I mean? Um, and then, of course, Age of Aquarius. They got a song for and everything. And astrology is either the current or the forthcoming astrological age, depending on the method of calculation. Um, astrologers maintain that an astrological age is a product of the good old Earth slow processional rotation that lasts for 2,160 years. Yikes! You know what I mean? Um, although often hostile to archaeologists, some lay hunters attempted to ascertain scientific evidence for their belief in Earth energies at prehistoric sites. Evidence they could not obtain. Following sustained archaeological criticism, the lay hunter community dissipated in the 1990s uh, with several of its key proponents abandoning the idea of moving into the study of landscape archaeology and folkloristics. Uh, Landscape archaeology is a sub-discipline of the archaeology and archaeological theory is that the study of the ways in which people in the past constructed and used the environment around them. You know what I mean? And uh, the folklorist, uh, also known as folkloristics, and occasionally traditional studies of the folk life studies in the United Kingdom is a branch of anthropology devoted to the study of folklore. Uh, belief in ley lines nevertheless remain common among these esoteric religious groups, such as forms of modern paganism in both Europe and North America. Um, archaeologists note that there is no evidence that the ley lines were recognized phenomenon among ancient European societies and that the attempts to draw them typically rely on linking together structures that were built in different historical periods, archaeologists, and statisticians have demonstrated that the random distribution of a sufficient number of points on a plane will inevitably create alignments of random points purely by chance. Skeptics have also stressed that the esoteric idea of Earth energies running through ley lines has not been scientifically verified, remaining an article of faith for its believers. So science is coming to rain on the parade once again, you know what I mean? But out of fear or out of uh, fear or uh, maybe some, uh, you know, naivety. Naive. Be a little naive. But, I mean, it would kind of, it would make sense. I know that you subscribe to this, you know what I mean? Um, it would definitely make sense. I feel that, yeah, there are hot spots for this stuff to happen. 
Um, and I don't know the math of it, but I do believe that there's math out there on it. You know what I mean? What's your take? Well, I think that, I mean, they're saying these ancient civilizations at different times built these places. I don't think the time they built them, if they're separated by a hundred or a thousand years, makes much difference. Those, those indigenous people at the time, those people recognized a point where that energy came together, whether it be a portal, a vortex, whatever it is, they uh, recognize a hot spot, an energy spot. And it's interesting that if you go globally, whether you go into uh, Indonesia, whether you go into South and Central America, you go to Egypt, you go to all of these different places around the world, you can draw what eventually looks like a mapped out grid connecting all these places. And it's quite symmetrical. And that's the part that uh, I say is not random. There's a symmetry to it. Um, but the scientists won't recognize that the Earth, despite uh, some recent discoveries, still don't recognize that the Earth generates uh, that sort of energy. And I think, yeah, ley lines are energy lines that circle the Earth. And I think that there's a reason why that it could happen. Not being a scientist, but being having a definite geek side, I was thinking about it. And if you take the Earth, it has a molten iron core, and its spinning produces a magnetic field. Well, there's energy right there in the magnetic field, yeah. which is the magnetosphere, the magnetic field around the Earth. It protect, protects us against sunbursts and cosmic waves, etc. Uh, you take the components of an atom, uh, the nucleus, the center of it has a neutron, a neutral charge, and a proton, which is a positive charge, and they're always of equal mass. And it's circled by the electron, a negative charge, and that mass usually is equal to the nucleus. Now, the electron has something called a magnetic dipole movement, and it equals an electric charge in motion. Hmm. So now it is producing, along its rotational orbit, an electrical charge, and that is in motion. Now, there is something which uh, came up a while back. It's called the Schumann resonance. Hmm. It's the Earth actually gives off a vibrational a vibration, which has been measured. So that gives it off. Now, within the last several years, what they did is um, they found out, they found that there is at certain levels which humans can't hear, there is a hum near the earth in the atmosphere. And they believe, it's a hypothesis at this point, that it's a reflection of the human resonance back to the atmosphere. So you have this energy going, vibration and energy going out and then reflecting back uh, to the earth. Now, if you picture an atom, you have the ball, the nucleus, and the elliptical orbits of the electrons around it. Now, atoms can be magnetic. The Earth has a magnetic field and atmosphere. Think of the Earth as the nucleus. Since the electron magnetic dipole movement equals an electric charge in motion, imagine the, or the orbits of the electron around the nucleus compressed down to the surface of the nucleus, which is the Earth. The electron electrical charge in motion is, in fact, the energy lines or the ley lines. So the interaction of magnetic fields, energy generated by the electric charge and motions produced by the electron dipole movement, rotation of the planet, the energy vibration bounced back from the atmosphere, which has been recently observed by scientists, 
and the effects of gravity on matter or mass, and you have an interactive compression event on an atomic particle level, bringing the electric charge in motion to exhibit at the surface of the level of the Earth. And I call them ley lines. I do. I was just thinking about it the other day and came up with that. Those those random things put it together and said, oh, why didn't anybody ever call it this? <laughs> that was a perfect uh, summing up, I think, of, you know. We got some of the earliest prototypes of the ley lines. You know, the idea that the ancient sacred sites might have been constructed in alignment with one, one another was proposed in 1846 by the Reverend Edward Duke. Sounds like a racist who observed that some prehistoric monuments in medieval churches aligned with each other. In 1909, the idea was advanced in Germany. Um, there, William Chids had argued for the presence of linear alignments connecting various sites, but suggested that they had a religious and astronomical function. In Germany, the idea was referred to as Heililienen, the holy lines, like we said, an idea adopted by some proponents of Nazism. You know what I mean? Which is scary. This Adolf's, Adolf's group there, Adolf's buddies. Um, our Alfred Watkins dude that we talked about. We go a little, go a little deeper into him if we wanted to. Um, you know, according to his account, he was driving across the hills near Blackward in Helfordshire when he looked across the landscape and observed the way that several features lined up together. He subsequently began drawing lines across his ordnance survey maps, developing uh, the view that the ancient British people had tended to travel in straight lines using mark points along the landscapes to guide them. He put forward his idea of ley lines in the 1982 book, uh, book Early British Trackways, and then again in greater depth in the 1925 book, The Old Straight Track, like we brought up before. Um, and he, you know, he proposes the existence of a network of completely straight roads that cut through the range of prehistoric Roman and medieval structures. Um, and it would kind of, you know, people say with the numbers, you know, there, there's dates, tragedies, certain dates that the tragedies have happened on. You know, some people go as far to say that it's every, you know, however so many years on this date something happens, which is almost like a curse. You know what I mean? Um, what, you know... And you, what, what you want, it's just energy? What do you think, it's just an energy? These ley lines are an energy, or uh, what do you think it is, the actual source? Um, I think that it does come from Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. I think that when you have those points where these monuments were built, that is where the energy comes to the surface and is very strong. But I think when it reaches the surface, it branches out along certain lines connecting these points. They're kind of like energy highways back and forth. Yeah. Uh, b- between these points where the uh, the energy of the portals are open. And that's why we have a lot of these ancient sites built on those spots. Yeah. Uh, the scientists will say, oh, no, that, that can't be because it doesn't fit their current uh, idea of how things should be. But they weren't around at that time and they've distanced themselves from the cultures and the thinking of the people that go back a thousand, two thousand, three thousand years or more mm-hmm. to, who built that and were able to detect these energies. I mean, we've talked about sacred spots. 
uh, sacred sites in the world. We've talked about portals. We've talked about vortexes. Who is to say that they don't connect? That right. there aren't energy pathways because that energy has to go somewhere. And those pathways are the ley lines. Yeah. Yeah, I believe in that. I subscribe to that. That's something, it makes sense. You know what I mean? There's everything kind of happens, happens in cycles. Um, it's just the way it is. You know what I mean? I think there's a lot, uh, a lot of its numbers and stuff like that where the reoccurring reoccurrences, um, not quite as maybe, um, uh, as like a coincidence as people would like to think they would be. You know what I mean? Well, you get a lot of, you get a lot of ancient cultures and this is an American, uh, Native American as well. Uh, we live in a, uh, <coughs> what we like to think of, but we perceive as a linear time. Everything's in a straight line. Most Aboriginal cultures believed in a circular time. Yeah. Where everything circles back around. And their whole universe was built around that circle and cycles of things happening. Uh, the Mayans, the Native Americans, many other cultures all believed in those cycles, that a time wasn't straight, that it circled back. And that fits in, to me, that, that fits in with not only the ley lines circling the earth, uh, following that circle theme, but it also, in re- over certain periods of time around certain dates, certain types of events repeating themselves. Yeah. Whether it be a tragedy or whether it be enlightenment, it seems to occur at certain major events at certain cycles, a certain amount of time. And it's only because of our linear thinking that we just flat out say, no, it can't be. Just because we don't understand it doesn't mean it can't exist. We have to keep our minds open to think that, yeah, um, we might actually live in a time that actually circles back on itself. I mean, if you want to talk about the ultimate, and there's a debate now, but the ultimate, if you take the people that believe in the Big Bang, well, there's going to be, uh, there's currently a fight between dark and light matter, depending upon how much, but for a long period of time, and some still hold to it, the possibility that at some point the universe will expand to a certain point and then collapse back into itself. Mm. That's the, uh, it came from a singularity and that will, it will expand and at some point com- compress back to that singularity. Well, that's the perfect cycle. It may be hundred tens or hundreds of billions of years, but it's a cycle. It's not linear. It goes out, it comes back in much like we breathe Yeah, in and out, in and out. And if you, if you take, um, I believe that there are certain, uh, beliefs might be Hindu. I'm not sure, but in India where, uh, they also believe in that, that thing where it, it, everything creation goes out and then everything comes back in to that original point. Now, if you take, there are many religions that talk about a creation, everything goes out and they talk about an end time. Well, the end time is a return to the creator. That's cyclical. That's not, that's not linear. Mm. So beginning, expansion or life <coughs> and then collapsing in on itself or death. So actually uh, the fact that we live and we die is a, is a cycle. We came from the spirit world. We return to the spirit world. We just cycle through 
And if you believe in past lives, then that cycle continues and you can only break it when you get to the point of returning to the source. So everything is, is a cycle. Everything is a circle and everything, you know, what goes around comes around. It's there. Yeah. I'm with it. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm with that. I'm with that. Um, just pop into a little bit of the history to get back with the Watkins real quick. Well, Watkins' last book, The Archaic Tracks Around Cambridge, was published in 1932. Watkins died April 7th, 1935. Um, the club survived by him, which was the straight track uh, club that, that uh, you know, organized themselves around his beliefs. Although it became largely inactive at the outbreak of the Second World War in 1939 and formally disbanded in 1948, um, the Arco astronomer uh, Clive Ruggles noted that after the 1920s, ley lines soon faded into obscurity. Uh, the historian Ronald Hutton uh, similarity noted that he had been a virtual demise that it had been virtual demise in the idea of the 1950s in part due to natural weariness with spent enthusiasm um the earth mysteries movement from the 1940s to the 1960s the archaeological establishment blossomed in britain due to the formation of various university courses on the subject this helped uh, professionalize the discipline and meant that it was no longer an amateur-dominated field of research. It was in the later decade of this period uh, that belief in the ley lines was taken up to me- by members of the counterculture. We are, in the words of archaeologist Matthew Johnson, they were attributed. Let me see here. They were attributed uh, with sac- sacred significance or myth mystical power. Ruggles noted that in this period, ley lines uh, came to be conceived as lines of power, the paths of some from the spiritual force or energy accessible to our ancient ancestors, but now lost to narrow-minded 20th century scientific thought. 1961, books, Skyways and Landmarks. Tony Wedd published uh, his idea that Watkins' lays were both real and served as ancient markers to guide alien spacecraft that were visiting Earth. He came to this conclusion after comparing Watkins' ideas with those of the French ufologist Amy Machel, uh, who argued for the existence of orthotonies, uh, lines along which alien spacecraft traveled. Wed suggested that either spacecraft were following the prehistoric landmarks for guidance or that both the lays and the spacecraft were following a magnetic current fall, uh, flowing across the Earth. What's your take on some of this, uh, the, the alien approach of this? I would say if, they, if ley lines exist, and I believe they do, and you're a advanced civilization, they would be beacons or markers like a, a grid or a roadmap for us. I agree. On this planet. So if, if they were there, they should be able to recognize it either with their technology or the simple fact that they have reached a point in their development that they're not blind to what the indigenous people saw and they can recognize these power points and the energy grid around the earth. Yeah. It's true facts. You know, Wed's ideas were taken up 
by the writer John Mitchell, we talked about him before, promoted them to a wider audience in his 1967 book, The Flying Saucer Vision. In this book, uh, Michael promoted the ancient, the ancient astronaut belief that extraterrestrials had assisted humanity during prehistory, when humans had worshipped these entities as gods, but that the aliens left when humanity became too materialistic and technologically, uh, technologically focused. He also argued that humanity's materialism was driving it to self-destruction uh, and that this could be prevented by reactivating the ancient centers, which would facilitate renewed contact with the aliens. So he feels like brushing off the ley lines a little bit and, and trying to make contact with the aliens to kind of help us out, you know what I mean? Interesting take. But I do, I do think that, yeah, with these things, it would be kind of like an air, air traffic control type thing, you know what I mean? They'd be able to see it. It'd be like a lighthouse uh, in the storm type deal. Uh, yeah, it, it, yeah, it would be a beacon. What I find interesting is you have major and minor ones. You have major energy pathways, and then you have some smaller ones that branch out. Mm-hmm. Usually at the, uh, the intersection of them, uh, the major ones is where you do have the uh, sacred sites from the ancient people. Yeah. At the smaller intersections, you have some really oddball things going on. There's one uh, in the area over the center of the Bermuda Triangle. There's one over Alaska. There's an intersection over the Bridgewater Triangle. I believe that, yeah. And so even where there's not an ancient site, if you look at the intersection and you intersection of the lines and you look at what's going on there, it tends to be places where a lot of, again, I'll use the word portals or vortexes seem to open up and weird stuff happens. And it happens at the intersection of these lines. Right. So it's kind of like, okay, uh, major places of worship and monuments like pyramids and, and such all at the center point of major lines and they connect. Oh, look at that. They cross over there. Where's that? Oh, that crosses over Skinwater, uh, Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, and it crosses over Bridgewater Triangle. And it crosses... Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Something's going on here we don't understand. Unless you're a scientist and you simply say no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's like it, when they lay over each other, once they close it off and kind of box it in, I think that that area boxed in might be... Maybe the energy isn't allowed to just flow and it kind of circulates within it, you know what I mean? Well, if it's an energy circulating around the Earth and then you get an enclosed area near the interaction of those energy lines, it's going to disrupt, disrupt the energy in that particular area too. It's going to create its own magnetic or energetic field, whether it's right. a closed-in area or an intersection. And that they all seem to fall uh, where you have lots of weird things happening in the world. Yeah, absolutely. It's the energy. In the mid-1970s, Michael then published a detailed case study of the West Penwith district of Cornwall, laying out that he believed to be the ley lines in that area. He presented this as a challenge to archaeologists, urging them to examine his ideas in detail and stating that he would donate large sums of money to charity if they could disprove them. Hutton noted that he, it represented the finest piece of surveying work then undertaken by the Suedo archaeologists in Britain. However, Mitchell had 
included natural rock outcrops as well as medieval crosses in his list of Neolithic uh, and Bronze Age monuments. But to go back to what we were just saying, I think that, that I think that's exactly what it is. It's with these these ley lines that there's energy. You know what I mean? And the energy can be seen from from a, from a get out of space type thing if they were doing it like a glow, like you know. The same thing with like a black light type deal it would make things show up that you regularly wouldn't see almost. Um, and I do think that when they lay over each other, like we said, if you know they're going this way and that way, and they lay over enough each other to, to circle off a box or whatever of, of a triangle, you know, of whatever it is, and then that that energy is no longer going straight. It kind of it hits a door and then it kind of circulates itself in a circle or whatever, and that's why that spot would be a hot spot of weird energy. I'm definitely jiving with that. I think that that's definitely something. Well, on a simpler level, if you take um, the theory is that uh, strong EMF, a strong electromagnetic field can produce a shift in moods and hallucinations in people. That's why uh, ghost hunters go around with EMF detectors. Now, to me, if you were to take, um, let's say that electrical box, which has energy running through it, is on one wall. Yeah. So there you've got your electrical energy running there, your energy line running through that box. Now, if you were to take a room, instead of a room, you were to take a hall, uh, I mean a hallway, where the other wall is only about five or six feet away and there were an electrical box on that side running with uh, the electricity and the lines running through it. Yeah. When, you walk, when you walk in between them, you have those two energy fields coming off there that you can measure with an EMF detector. And they're going to be colliding in the middle. Do you want to be standing in that middle? They have disrupted the, the, the energy. When they come together, they, they've almost created their own uh, vortex or intense energy area. Now, who's to say if that can happen or something like that can happen in a hallway with electrical appliances or energy uh, electrical boxes mm. that on the earth with these massive energy fields intersect or close off an area, of course they're going to interact. They're energy fields. Yeah. And they're going to they're gonna make a change in between there. The, the interaction point, as, as well as anything where they box in a, a very small area, they're going to affect the energy of that area. Yeah, I'm with that. You know, we have the lay hunting community, you know. We could be joining this community soon, Ray, if you're down, if you're down to make an habit. A little history on that is in 1962, a group of ufologists established the Lay Hunters Club. Uh, Mitchell's publication was followed by an upsurge in the lay hunting as enthusiasts traveled around the British landscape seeking to identify what they believed to be ley lines connected to various historic structures. Uh, Parish churches were particularly favored by the lay hunters who often worked on the assumption that such churches had almost always been built atop pre-Christian sacred sites. In the 1970s and the 80s also saw the increase in publications on the topic of ley lines. One ley line enthusiast, Philip Heselton, established the Lay Hunter magazine, which launched in 1965. It was later edited by Paul Screeton, 
who also wrote the book Quicksilver Heritage, in which he argued that the Neolithic period had seen an idyllic society devoted to spirituality, but that this was brought to an end through the introduction of metal technologies in the Bronze Age. He argued that this Golden Age could never, nevertheless be restored. Another key book produced among the key, uh, the, 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 the lay hunting community was Mysterious Britain, which was written by Janet and Colin Board. Um, part of the popularity of lay hunting was uh, that individuals without any form of professional training in archaeology could take part and feel that they could rediscover the magical landscapes of the past. Lay hunting wel- welcomed those who had a strong interest in the past to feel excluded from the narrow confines of orthodox academia. The lay hunting movement often blended their activities with the other esoteric practices such as numerology and dowsing, like we said before, movement in diverse base consisting of individuals from different classes and of different political opinions. It contained adherents of both radical left and radical right ideologies. Lay hunters often different differed on how they understood the lay lines. Some believe that the lays only marked pre-existing energy current, whereas others thought that the lays helped to control the uh, and direct this energy. They were nevertheless generally in agreement that the ley lines were laid out between 5000 BCE and 2600 BCE after the introduction of agriculture, but before the introduction of metal in Britain. For many of lay hunters, the Neolithic period was was seen as the golden age in which Britons lived in harmony with a natural environment. What do you think the introduction of metal would have an effect? Why do you think the introduction of metal would have an effect on these? I think locally and in, in areas where it's weaker, it might because if metal conducts. Like a magnetic thing? A magnetic thing. But I think that if you're talking about the major ley lines between the major, the older sacred sites, I don't think the metal is going to disrupt them or change them. Yeah. Um, but I think what it might do is that the people working with the metal, holding the metal, living in metal structures, uh, what they're going to be feeling and what they may be able to sense is going to be modified by that metal. It's going to change, it's going to change things for them. Yeah. I don't think the ley lines themselves change. I think that, um, you're, they're basically removing themselves from their natural state being connected to the world around them, the energies around them, the spirit world, the ley lines. Uh, society has done that anyways, uh, partly through science, but just through the way we live. We've distanced ourselves, and the introduction of metal was part of that distancing, uh, yeah. disrupting the natural, the natural world by, uh, instead of leaving it in the earth where it served a function in a certain area, possibly as a conductor along a ley line or as an outlet for energy, they decided to take it, mold it, and carry it with them. And that's more of a detriment to themselves than it is to anything else as far as being able to still stay in touch with Earth in a pristine way. Yeah. You know, attitudes on the archaeological establishment varied among lay hunters, uh, with some of the latter wanting to convert archaeologists to their beliefs and others believing that there was an impossible, that was an impossible task. 
Clay hunters nevertheless often took an interest in the work of archaeoastronomers like Alexander Thom, um, Dion Mackey, being attracted to their arguments about the existence of sophisticated astronom astronomer priests in British prehistory and suggesting that prehistoric Britons were far more advanced in mathematics and astro astronomy than archaeologists had previously accepted. Uh, Tom's work has been seen as giving additional credibility to the beliefs of lay hunters. Uh, Tom lent the idea of lays some support. In 1971, he stated the view that uh, Neolithic British engineers would have been capable of surveying a straight line between two points that they were otherwise not visible from each other. Paul Davero succeeded Screeton as the editor of The Lay Hunter. He was more concerned than many other lay hunters with finding objective evidence for the idea that unusual forms of energy could be measured at places where prehistoric communities had erected structures. He was one of the founding members of the Dragon Project, launched in London in 1977, with the purpose of conducting radioactivity with ultrasonic tests at prehistoric sites, particularly the stone circles created in the late Neolithic and early Bronze Age. The Dragon Project continued its research throughout the 1980s, finding that certain prehistoric sites did show higher or lower than average rates of radiation, but that others did not, and that there was no consistent pattern. Professional archaeologists whose view of the lay hunters was largely negative took little interest in the research, as you could imagine. Uh, it was only in the 1980s that professional archaeologists in Britain began to engage with the lay hunting movement. In 1983, year of Matt Fisher, lay lines in question a book written by the archaeologist Tom Williamson and Liz Bellamy was published. In this work, Williamson and Bellamy considered and tackled the evidence uh, that ley lines exponents had amassed in support of their beliefs. As part of their book, they examined the example of the West Penwith district that Mitchell had set out as a challenge to archaeologists during the previous decade. Uh, they highlighted that the British landscape was so highly covered in historic monuments that it was statistically unlikely that any straight landline could be drawn across the landscape without passing through several such sites. They also demonstrated that lay, hunt lay hunters had often claimed that certain markers were Neolithic and thus roughly contemporary with each other. When they, when they often, they were of widely different dates. They were often of widely different dates, such as being an Iron Age or a medieval time. The overall message of Williamson and Bellamy's book was that the idea of lays as it was being presented by Earth's mysteries proponents had no basis in empirical reality. Looking back on the book's reception in 2000, Williamson noted that archaeologists weren't particularly interested in ley lines People were hostile. I think what he said a little bit in there with that, with it, with they don't really, they weren't believing in it because it'd be so many of them intersecting each other in places like um, where would where was uh, um, uh, Brit, Brit, was it in Britain? Is that what he was talking about? Where they yeah, or the medieval the the. Yeah, I forget. He, but he said it was on it. He's like, there's so many landmarks that it wouldn't make sense, but it's probably a double. The way I would look at it is, you know, 
you got these ley lines and yeah, they go over certain things, but I really want to like that idea of the, of it crossing over each other and kind of making a box, you know what I mean? Like if you, if, if it continues to, you lay it out, you know, it cross over itself, it'll eventually make a box. And then that box, I think something would happen within that box. I don't think that box would just be nothing. I think the fact that the energy would build and it would, it would turn into an issue. I think that that would, and that's how you would get a hot spot, like a Bridgewater triangle or, you know, uh, uh, you know, um, what do you call it? What's the big one? I'm losing my mind. Bermuda triangle. Bermuda triangle. Yeah. You know, that's what, that's how I think you get stuff like that, where you do have these ley lines that go and they all, you know, I do feel that these ley lines are a power source an energy source, but I think that when they lay over each other, instead of being a straight shot and they, they make a square or whatever, that that energy gets circulated. And that's how you get these weird hot spots, like a, like one of the triangles or something, you know, what's your take on that? I think you already answered it actually. <laughs> uh, well, what I was thinking about is they decided to do Britain. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you're going to do ley lines that circle the earth, um, it's kind of like a medical study. Yeah. Uh, they took a sampling and first of all, it should be a double blind. And they obviously went in there with certain ideas, being scientists. But you can't really totally eliminate that in human beings. But if you do a study on the effects of a particular drug, are you going to reach a valid conclusion with 10 participants? No. I don't think you will with 10 participants. Right. Uh, a million? You get a better idea of seeing how it's going to interact with people. Right. So they took Britain. Well, what about the rest of the world? What about the sites around the world? What about the ley lines around the world? Um, and I think, to me, ley lines to me is very much like an interstate system. You have, uh, at least in the U.S., one of the major ones is uh, 95. Mm. Okay, that runs a certain way. But you also have Route 1, Route 20, Route 5, Route. you have these other other branching off and intersecting at times. Yeah. So, you know, you have your interstate, whether it's like a 295, a 95, or 70. Those are your major ley lines. Your local route numbers, that's where it all, that's where it branches off. And that's where you get some intersects Mm -hmm. in there. You could even take it down to streets, which are created. People will say, ah, but streets are laid out later. Yes, they are, but the interaction of all of this energy flowing back and forth, you're going to have these offshoots. I mean, if you take a look at something like when they use a, if you've ever seen a video of a Tesla coil, that thing which shoots out electricity. Yeah. Well, you, you take a lightning bolt or a Tesla coil, you usually have one main bolt coming down. But you have all these feelers going out in different directions because the energy isn't contained just in that area. Mm. Just like a lightning bolt, which, which comes down, you also have these smaller branches that go off. So you've got all of this intersecting rotational energy going around the earth. And you tell me that you're not going to have these things branch off and they're not going to interact with each other and create other little spider webs of energy or concentrations. They will, they would have to, that's the way energy works. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm with you 120% on that. You know what I mean? And never underestimate the energy. You know, energy, 
energy, electricity got enough to put you in the grave. You know what I mean? It's got enough boom to put you down. Um, it is very mysterious. It's like magnets a little bit like, you know what I mean? It's the energy within. It's like uh, you can almost break the way you can break down you know, the, the, the fibers of a human body and all that, the structures that make it. You can do the same thing with the energy and all the different structures that go into that. But uh, to go into our late hunters, you know, the late hunters didn't have a very long career, unfortunately. Uh, late Hunter magazine, unfortunately, ceased publication in 1999. Um, some people say that's a big year for tragedy with Columbine. No, no. Yeah, Columbine. Um, so there's some more late line for you right there. Um, and it's funny if they, it'd be not funny, but it's almost if they said, if they used that line, well, 1999, big tragedy year. Day we had to close our doors. Um, its last editor, Danny Sullivan, stated that the idea of Lay's was dead. Yikes! When you're when you're when the dude running your running running your magazine on Ley Lines is saying that it's dead, you got an issue on your hands. Um, Hutton suggests that some of the enthusiasm formerly directed towards Lay's was instead directed towards archaeoastronomy. He also noted that the lay hunting community had functioned as an uh, indispensable training ground for a small but important group of non-academic scholars who had made a genuine contribution to the study of folklore and mythology. Pennock, for instance, went, uh, went on to write a range of short books and pamphlets on European folklore. Another prominent lay hunter, Bob uh, Trubshaw, also wrote several books on these subjects and served as publisher for others, for other people. Um, Jeremy Hart, editor of Wessex Earth Mysteries, subsequently produced several books on folklore. His book on British fairy lore uh, later won the Folklore Society Annual Prize. You know what I mean? Anybody out there don't know what a fairy is, watch Peter Pan. You know what I mean? Tinkerbell. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's kind of it disbanded a little bit. There's still people out there keeping the fight alive, you know what I mean, writing books and such. Um, it's one of those deals. One day me and Ray Booten are going to retire into the world of just writing books. Maybe, get, <laughs> maybe we'll get a mostly ghostly book one of these days. <laughs> Not the R.L. Stein one, but our own one. We got to be careful, mostly ghostly, with R.L. Our boy R.L. He's a good dude. He's he's, he's all about the mostly ghostly show. Um, so you know they're they're still continuing their fight, and uh, you know a little bit more of the continuing belief system going on again. In two thousand five, Ruggles noted that for the for the most part, ley lines represent an unhappy episode. Now uh, consigned to history. However, belief in the ley lines persist among the various esoteric groups, having become an enduring feature of some brands of esotericism. As Hutton observed, uh, a belief in ancient earth energies have passed so far into the religious experience of the New Age, the counterculture of Europe and America, that is unlikely that there are any tests of evidence would bring about an end to belief in them. During the 1970s and the 1980s, a belief in ley lines fed into the modern pagan community. Um, research that took place in 2014, for instance, found that various Druids and other pagans believed that there were ley lines focusing on the early Neolithic site of Coldrum Long Barrow uh, in Kent, southeast England. 
in the U.S. city of Seattle, likes to rain a lot there, uh, a dousing organization called Geo Group plotted that they believed where the ley lines across the city. That they believe that where they, yeah, uh, they stated that their project made Seattle the first city on earth to balance and tune its ley line system. The Seattle Arts Commission contributed 5000 to the project, bringing criticism from members of the public who regarded it as a waste of money. Very interesting. $5,000 is what lunch for a couple months. Um, yeah, it's a weird vibe here, you know what I mean? Um, uh, when it says Project Made Seattle the first city on earth to balance and tune its, its ley line system, do you feel like that that's more messing with something they shouldn't be messing with? Or is that, you know, trying to get it in tune is a all right thing to do? What's your take on that? Depends upon if they're, they're tuning themselves or trying to change something in nature. If they're trying to change something in nature, then that's not a good idea. I think that Seattle threw $5,000 at them so they could try and get tourists out of it, the same way that the Mothman thing gets their tourists. Remember the last couple episodes we talked about them giving up all their people's sanity on a platter to get, get and sell some hot dogs and T-shirts, you know what I mean? Uh, but Seattle will, ne- Seattle will never become the new Sedona, I'll tell you that much. Kirk Cobain tried it. He couldn't do it, dude. He tried. Um, most, speaking of mostly ghostly, Kirk Cobain, there you go. Um, it's one of those things, you know, Seattle, do you think that the, 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 the rain, there's so much rain there and almost a gloomy vibe. You think that has to do with any of the energy? Um, I don't know. I tend to think that it, that has a lot to do and whether it's energy or not, but it's just the way the fronts move through the way they come off the Pacific and hit that. Yeah. The temperature, the moisture, <laughs> I think Seattle's rain has more to do with that than anything else. Yeah, I mean, it, it would kind of make sense for them not to, to keep this hush-hush, you know, how they're always trying to debunk it and all that. It's like, if because, you know, from an outsider's opinion, if, if you were to th- think that these things were real, there's a lot of power within these, you know, building your structures on them, following with the, following with the, the routine of, you know, knowing that they're there and building around them, building with them, using them, you know what I mean? Um, it makes sense. It's kind of a, a sense-making thing. But, um, yeah, I think that the, the Seattle deal, I think they're just trying, they're looking for $5,000 is really nothing at the end of the day. You know what I mean? That's two, that's two of the highest people in their town to go on vacation for a week. That's all that is. Um, well, it was, it was good PR for the group. Right. Yeah. Maybe one of the, maybe there was a female that was going out with one of the people in Seattle, one of the Congress people and got it passed. Got her, cut her a little five thousand dollar check. Well, actually, it's the Seattle Arts Commission. So realistic, it's not. It's an art. It's an art thing, which yeah, much respect to the arts, but it's a little different than a government organization. You know what I mean? They went to the library and they said, "We want money." <laughs> the library said, "Here's a here's a, here's money from the old uh, Seattle Arts Organization." You know, another commission. Don't tell nobody you got it out. It's the money came from overdue books. You know what I mean? But you got that money. Uh, do we want to dip into any of the criticism that they got that they've received, and might, and then kind of talk about that? Uh, no, I think that there's that's kind of just without goes without saying. 
Yeah, it, it, it goes it goes without saying. You're either one of three things. You're either a firm believer and will fight to the death to try and defend them. Yeah. Uh, you get an open mind saying, oh, that's cool, maybe. Or you're a cynic and you'll fight to the death to uh, disprove them. Yeah. And whenever somebody disproves or disagrees with you, you're always going to get those... Uh, Oh, those criticisms. I know that, um, and people are just very quick to, to criticize, getting, getting away from, uh, ley lines or anything. I went on a vacation one time to a place down in Florida. Yeah. And I took a look at, uh, reading about it. Like a lot of people were, were saying, oh, I had a wonderful time. And another person was talking about going down to Florida for a vacation in this place in the middle of summer. And all they did was complain about, oh, I had a horrible time. It was hot. It was, it was, and it's kind of like, it's Florida in the middle of summer. Of course it's hot and humid. But that person in their life, no matter what they encounter, if it goes against what makes them comfortable, in that case it was physical comfort, they're going to be critical. Mm-hmm. And if you take a look at the ley lines, you take a look, let's say, the, that project in Seattle, if it goes against what someone b- believes or likes to believe, they're going to be critical. That's it. It's it's human nature. It's going to be like, oh, no, that's not right. This is why, blah, 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 blah. It's kind of like, okay, fine. Don't have to listen. <laughs> I agree. People get very set in their ways. You know what I mean? If it seems like it's a little, uh, it seems like it's a little out of the norm, they don't want to believe it. it makes them feel like... Uh, like they're a child or something. I don't know what their the deal is, but they'll wrap their head around other things that are even more crazy. Uh, you know what I mean? Like the fact that their government cares about them. But you know, what can you do? I think I think I would rather be or try and hold on to an attitude of being like a child mm-hmm. and look at and look at the world in awe and wonder and consider new things than just closing myself up. I hope I never reach that point. I'm always willing to uh, take a look at something new or always exploring yeah. different things. Uh, and yes, I say a difference of opinion is vastly different than a criticism. If someone have a, has a difference of opinion, I'll discuss it. If someone is solely there to criticize and put down, I don't want to bother. Yeah. So th- there, there is a difference there, but yeah. Um, if someone doesn't want their world shattered, I enjoy once in a while having my world shattered by something new and earth shaking. It keeps me fresh and it keeps me alive. Oh yeah, I'd rather be uh, a child, a childlike wonder, than an, an older man with uh, uh, bitterness at the child. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. That's how we keep it. That's how we do it here. Mostly ghostly. We keep it ghostly mostly. Um, so hell yeah, ley lines. We finally jumped on some ley lines, you know what I mean? Um, and I think our overall opinion of this is that they're real deal holy field. This is some real stuff, you know what I mean? Um, we haven't really kind of tapped into the full potential of what they could do. That's why they're not that big of a deal yet. I think if they figured out exactly what they could fully do, the full potential of what could be done with them, then I think it would be a bigger deal. But I do think that maybe that full potential is why. They don't want people talking about it. You know what I mean? Yep. Almost, you know, it fits into a situation. The way they said there is a little manipulation going on with it, they said, you know, where, um, you know, where they were trying, where Seattle was trying to, you know, revamp it and stuff like that. There, you know, there, there's, 
Um, things could be manipulated. Go back to like to the weather, like a weather manipulation thing. Not to go too deep into that, but that's kind of along along those lines as well a little bit. You know, I don't. I think all that stuff would go together in a way. You know, a line, a ley line. You know, you bring the the weather. You know, it can change weathers and do all types of stuff. You know what I mean? Maybe I went a little too far. Maybe that's a little too outside the box with the last part. But it is the age of Aquarius, so we are able to go outside of the box. You know. What box? Um, what, what what box? You mean there's a box? Exactly. Well, from the line when they intersect and they cross over and they they, they, they oh, oh. absolutely oh, we're all boxed oh, in. Those boxes, okay. Those boxes, yeah. We try to stay out. <laughs> we try to we we stay out of the box regularly. Um, you know what I mean? I guess nobody puts baby in a corner. That's all I know. So I think that, yeah, we, you know, we, we, I don't think our opinions kind of been changed at all with this episode. I think we still feel the same way that we do about it. It was just kind of a good refreshing episode a little bit. You know, I didn't really know so much about some of the authors and, um, you know, the ley line teams, you know what I mean? These groups of, of hunters and stuff that would go out looking for them. You know, you assume they're always there uh, whenever there's a big interest in anything, you know, uh, but yeah, you know, it had a moment where a lot of people were talking about it and now there's a time where not too many people are talking about it, but just because people aren't talking about it doesn't mean that it's not a thing. It's a lot of things that are real out there that people aren't talking about. You know what I mean? Unfortunately. So, you know, um, with that being said, you know, we, we took the old straight track to Georgia kid right down, right down. Right down, right down the line, right down the old line. Would you like to say anything in closing on this episode of the Mostliest of Ghostliest? If you can, and if if you do a search, there are maps, Mm. uh, some more clear than the others. Uh, And if you can get a map for your area, try and find where the ley lines run, and particularly if they intersect. And that is the place for you to do your meditation, to do your ceremonies uh for you to go exploring that's the place and determine for yourself if the energy there is different or not but just be prepared to be surprised it, it might throw something at you for sure those intersecting lines is where the where the where the hot spots are they're heating up they're intersecting they're laying over each other like wires they're heating up they're getting hot hot spot stuff oh yeah hell yeah so, like Ray said, go out there, check out a map. We had maps, but we're a digital, we're an audio show. So, what are we going to do? It, it describe a map to you guys through through audio. Come on, but yeah, definitely go out there and check your own areas uh, and get the vibe. There is many a maps out there. Uh, they probably got your your neighborhood, your neck of the woods in there too somewhere. Um, you know, I know state per state they got them and they lay over pretty pretty thick, so you can see them nicely. Um, but yeah, definitely go out there. Let this be the jump-off point, as we like to say, mostly ghostly. Let us just kind of start to brush away the dust, and then you go get the shovel. You know what I mean? And you start digging for real. But uh, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this show, uh, check out our other shows. This is uh, We're in the middle of Season 2. Um, we're probably up to, what, like 70 episodes now or something like that? Maybe a little more? I think it's closer to 75 now. Closer to 75, hell yeah. You know, we touch on a little bit of everything. So if you dig this, 
you go dig that. This isn't as ghostly as other episodes, but we got some ghostly in there too. But this is mostly. Uh, but with that being said, you know, if you like this show, go check out the other episodes. Um, there's all, you know, check out Boombastic Media on YouTube as well as Facebook. That's our YouTube page with all our stuff on there. Um, if you go on the, the Facebook, you'll see we have other shows on the network. That if you enjoy this one, you'll probably like those as well. Um, and if you have any uh, interest in supporting the cause, you know what I mean? We got a Boombastic Streaming Patreon page. That's right, Patreon. And uh, go there. We got a whole bunch of cool perks for little money. Support the team. Get hooked in and uh, take the ride. You know what I mean? We got everything from podcast hookups on there. We got shows that we run out of there on the YouTube with, you know, Shock Treatment TV. Always interviewing some big horror folks, you know, and underground horror folks. And we got the Boombastic cast, you know, interviewing some folks from all over everywhere, doing a big style and mostly ghostly. Going to be having some stuff pop up on there pretty soon, I heard. There might be a little little something going down. Um, so, yeah, pop on to that stuff and uh, check it all out. And with that being said, we'll catch y'all on the next episode of Mostly Ghostly. Ghostly. <laughs>